Hello. Welcome to the Home Podcast. Coming at you from my living room. Yep. I'm sure you can hear that airplane. Pretty annoying. So I live right next to Centennial Airport and it's just it's just loud. It's always loud. Sometimes there's like a helicopter and then it's like really loud and I think there's an alien invasion happening. But anyways, you don't care about that. You're here to listen to this. This message is called Be Humble. Sit down. Be humble. Not just the be humble part. And kind of, uh, let me start off with this. We need to acknowledge, if we haven't already, that once we have said or once we say yes to Jesus, we say no to our desires. Okay? So once we say yes to Jesus, we become yes people when he speaks. Okay? Um, A huge worry for not only me, but for all of us is to say no to what Jesus is calling us to. One of my biggest fears is, is for the Lord to tell me to do something and for me to miss it. And for me to, uh, yeah, miss it, say no to it, um, not hear it, those kinds of things. But tonight I want to talk about success, loss, battle, and everything in between. So, we should all be okay with identifying as slaves and servants to the Lord. If we're not okay with that, you got issues. These, t- these titles, being a slave and being a servant, is a humble title, you know? If I were to be uh, somebody's slave, I would have to humble myself a lot and obey that person's every command, or I'd be doomed. I'd be in some trouble, you know? We all know humble people, but we also know people who have a ton of pride, you know? Not to go too deep on this, but... Think about this for a little bit. Chew on this as the week goes on. There's a kind of humility that is also called pride. And I think a lot of like um, Christian athletes, a lot of Christian musicians fall into this. And it's this thing called false humility. Where somebody comes up and says, hey, good game out there, champ. And you're like, oh man, no. But you deep down know that you did good. There's nothing wrong with being... There's nothing wrong with being uh, confident. There's nothing wrong with knowing that you did something well. You know, worship leaders fall into this all the time. You know, there's nothing more uncomfortable when somebody says, hey, you did a really good job singing up there. (laughs) Yeah, that's uncomfortable. But you can say, hey, thank you. You don't have to say, oh, man, but this, you know, because then you sound like a cheese, okay? So let's, uh, let's think of this whole concept of being humble but not being like some kind of pans you know it's not some kind of pansy just like oh but you know it was okay (sighs) you know what i mean i hope you know what i mean if you don't know what i mean think about it reach out to me I'll, i'll i'll talk more about it maybe later um i want to talk about being humble um not just in life and wins and loses, but also in our faith walk. You know, the Lord is actually attracted to humility. Think of people who the Lord decided to use on this earth, right? Abraham counted the Lord as everything. Genesis 18, 27 backs that up. 
Moses, a murderer, and committed, yeah, and committed to the Lord. Moses, a murderer, and committed to the Lord, right? Numbers 12, verse 3. Then Paul, a guy who was pretty much slapped by the Lord, essentially. Philippians 3, 8. Joshua led people into the promised land. Joshua 5, 15. And then there's David, killed the giant with a rock. Stephen, willing to be stoned for Jesus. Acts 7. John the Baptist, willing to deflect his glory to Jesus. John chapter 1 and 2. Maybe you know people in life who have just said yes over and over again. The Lord is attracted to humility. You may notice that all of these kind of people of the faith were not pansies. They were studs, you know? They weren't being pushed around and and like the nerdy kid in the high school, like, oh, oh, geez, oh, ow, you know? They were studs of the faith. They weren't pushovers. I mean, let's bring it real close to home. Jesus flipped over tables and drove people out of the temple with a whip. Uh, not a pansy? Yeah, not a pansy. When we think of humble guys, we can't put weak in the same category slash descriptor, okay? I don't want to mistake humility for being a pushover. I want to think of it in this sense, okay? Revelation chapter 4, verses 5 through 10 reads, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. So, if you don't like, uh, tangent, if you don't like repetitive worship music, you're going to be miserable in heaven, okay? Because this says, day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. That's all they say. So, if you like, if you don't like repetitive worship and if you don't like just repeating truth over and over again in song, just like this is, heaven's going to be miserable for you. Verse 9, and this is where I want to kind of focus on, all right? Verse 9 and 10 says, And when, whenever, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is, seated, who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on that throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. 
Pretty cool, right? 9 through 11 talks all about how we are to lay our crowns at his feet. Envision that in your life. What are crowns in your life? You know, we don't usually wear crowns around anymore. I mean, unless you're into that. But we don't do that anymore. But if you're into it, great. But what does that mean in our lives? Crowns in our lives are every success, every victory, every gain, whatever you say, you know, all of these kinds of things, you're saying, laying those down at the Lord's feet, that's a humble statement. And I'm not talking about like what Steph Curry does, uh, beating on his chest and then shaking his shoulders and then pointing up, you know. I'm actually talking about us face-to-face with the Lord and you going thing by thing, success after success, and at the end saying, Lord, this is all yours because of exactly what verse 11 says. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So, ha, your uh, ping-pong match that you just won? Yeah, not your victory. Sorry, it's not. Did you create ping pong? Did you create the earth? Did you create your body? Then it's not yours, man, you know? <sighs> this is tough, you know? I like to think of my excesses as all my own, you know? But only a wise man knows that all things, because of the Lord's will, existed and were created by his glory and for his glory. This is how I want to look at humility tonight, okay? Not a bunch of old geezers and and, uh, pushovers, but not afraid of succeeding and then laying those crowns at the Lord's feet and giving him ultimate praise and glory for it. Essentially, it's keeping the first thing first. It is keeping God's glory first and yours last. Hope that makes sense. None of the legends in the Bible were pushovers. And we're New Testament believers, and we shouldn't be either. Neat? Cool. Thanks for responding. Now we're going to spend the rest of our time, I believe, in 1 Samuel. Um, And we're going to talk about one of, um, you know, one of the little... uh, Sunday school stories that we hear if we grew up in the church or veggie tales, you know. So this is 1 Samuel 17 and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 to start, okay? Now, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdeum. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in a line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of bronze on his head and was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Heavy. Verse 6. And he had bronze armor on his legs 
and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The staff in of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. So, big dude named Goliath. Yes, uh, if you're anything like me, you envision him with a huge beard, extra hairy, and freaking jacked. Just so strong, you know? Huge beard, very hairy, extra manly, and frankly, the dude was nine feet tall, give or take. Mostly give. Um, and he was an angry fellow, and the Israelites were freaked out about him. This dude probably seemed invincible. You know? Uh, if I looked at that guy, man, I'd look like a dork. You know, I'm six foot, maybe six one. I don't know, give or take the day. Sometimes I'm taller than other days. Sometimes I feel taller than other days. Um, but I'm six foot. That guy had uh, three feet on me. That's um, like the size of an infant on top of my head. That's a tall person. And it's a strong guy, you know? It wasn't like he was skinny like me. So King Saul, the king of the Israelites, must have been pretty freaked out. And King Saul was the biggest and the tallest guy of his people, right? And this big dude named Goliath is attacking his people and land. So let's keep reading verse 8 through 11. Verse 8, it says, it reads, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Verse 10, and the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Right? So Goliath is essentially is like, hey, come at me, bro. You know, he calls the entire land out and says, hey, if you win, I'll serve you. And if you win, um, uh, oh, we will serve you. Um, so let's set the scene. You know, I'm going to do this thing throughout this entire message. Um, and it's going to be fun. You know, it, it went over pretty well on the Saturday that I preached this. And um, we've got this running joke of the LT translation. Right? Um, which was pointed out that, um, that Saturday that LT stands for Lex Translation. And... Um, we're calling it the LT translation. So it's the Lex translation translation. Okay. So silly, but whatever. So let's set the scene in today's term in the LT translation. So let's set the scene. You are out in the cafeteria. Okay. And, And yeah, you're out in the cafeteria or sitting on the benches, eating lunch and minding your own business. Then the biggest dude at the school starts calling you out right? You start thinking, wow, I have no shot to fight this guy. He continues He continues to yell and says, hey, let's fight. And if you beat me in this fight, all of my people 
you know, because there's posses in high schools and middle schools. There's posses, right? If you beat me in this fight, all my people will come do your homework and drive you wherever you want and wear, and we will wear a chicken suit while we do it, all right? But if I beat you, you will dress as princesses and do all my homework and drive me wherever I need to go. Make sense? Let's continue on. Verse 12 through 15. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. Okay, so in normal language, David is the son of Jesse, and he's got eight sons. Jesse has eight sons. Okay. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in his years. Verse 13. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of these three sons who went to battle were named Elib, the firstborn. The next to him was Abinabad, and the third one was Shaman. Shema? Shema. Yeah. Verse 14. David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Okay? So, in this story, this kind of scene snaps off of Goliath and starts talking about this guy named David and his family. So David is the youngest, which means probably the smallest. So David's dad brings King Saul his three stud sons. David's dad named Jesse, yes? And David goes and attends to the sheep. Back to the LT translation. School gets out, and your dad catches wind of what happened to your friend group today, or to you today. And he talks to the entire family, and he brings your three older brothers to get ready for battle of a lifetime. Meanwhile, you go back to do what you do day after day, and attend to the sheep. Normal, okay? To be continued. Verse 15 through 25. But David went back and forth to attend to the sheep. Yes, verse 16. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain, sorry, and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Verse 19. Now Saul and they... Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse, his dad, commanded him. And he came to the encampment uh, at, at the host, was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. Verse 23. And as they talked with with them, behold, 
the champion, the Philistine, or sorry, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him, all the men of Israel, when they saw this man, fled from him and were much afraid. Verse 25, and the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel, and the king will enrich this man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Okay. So, that was a lot. But let's uh, let's digest it for a second. Okay. So Goliath would come to the edge of, uh, of uh, the city every single day for 40 days to taunt the Israelites right? Scene change. David's dad had David go run some errands, right? When you're the youngest, you get some grunt jobs, okay? He was running errands, okay? David brought some carbs to his brothers um, who were supposedly getting ready for battle. Then he ran to, then he ran to the lines to go give these, to go greet his brothers, and Goliath was standing there taunting them and talking some major smack, right? Then all the Israelites' warriors um, uh, heard and saw Goliath and were freaked. And the king said, whoever takes Goliath down can marry my daughter and I will take care of his entire family. Cool? So, LT translation. Let's speak a little more English here. So, while pa- um, so a while passes at school because uh, the bully taunts you and your friend group for 40 days. <sighs> now, your brothers come the next day and are all pumped. Your dad has prepared them with a carbolo diet, and your brothers post on Instagram daily um, of them in their bro tanks, you know, with the hashtag line that says something with a bunch of hashtags like beast mode, uh, no days off, uh, Israel wasn't built in the day, uh, warrior, hashtag fit fam, this one's good, hashtag trapasaurus rex, hashtag pump, hashtag gains. Then they come to school walking around like those kind of guys do, and then they see the guy they are supposed to battle, and they're like, ha, psych, and leave the premises, okay? Then you over here, the leader of the friend group, who's your teacher, says, if you take this guy down, I will let you marry my daughter. And this is a big deal because you wrote that rude song, you know? Why gotta be so rude, right? This is a big deal. You wrote that song. You were brokenhearted. Didn't get permission. Now, this is your opportunity to swoop in and save the day. Yes? I hope that makes a little more sense. Let's... One thing that I want to touch on, okay? Aside from the LT translation, I want to touch on something that was pretty important in this that I just totally forgot. Um... It's interesting in this that the dad gives a bunch of things to David to go take to the brothers. Okay, that in itself isn't interesting, but what David does with the stuff um, is very interesting. So listen, listen in. If you haven't listened yet, listen to this. When you're about to face a battle, you know, when you're about to face a circumstance, when you're about to face a, a uh, season in your life, whether it's sickness, a person, um, a sin, 
you have to leave your battle or you have to leave your baggage before you go into battle. It says in verse 22, and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran into the ranks and went to his brothers. Okay? So you can only go and reach for your breakthrough and victory when you leave all your baggage behind. What's your baggage? You tell me. You know, what is the thing that um, should have been holding David back? You know, oh, I'm the youngest. Oh, I'm the tiniest. Oh, I've got this excuse, this excuse. Your baggage is excuses. Your baggage is your past. Your baggage is what people say that you can't achieve. David left all that with the guy who keeps all of it and then ran into battle. Okay, pretty cool uh, little thought in there. Um, Usually gets glazed over. I almost glazed over it. Glad I remembered it. Let's keep reading. Verse 26 through 32 reads, And David said to the man who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him the same way, So it shall be done to the man who kills him. Verse 28, Now Elib or Elab, whatever his name is, uh, the eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and and his older brother's anger, Elab's, was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? With whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. Verse 32. And David said to Saul, No man's heart, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Okay, so this is pretty funny, right? This is pretty, pretty good. So there's, um, you know, it's David. Like any guy, there's a rumor that you're going to get this girl. You go getting some, you're getting some confirmation, right? You're not going to just like, oh, okay, well, I'll just go fight this giant. Maybe I'll die, but I need to make sure that I'm guaranteed that I get the girl, right? His older brother gets pissed off at him and tells him to go back to go back to the sheep where he belongs and said and essentially says let the men let the men fight and let the boys tend. And like any sibling relationship, David turns and starts trying to defend himself and says, "Eh, just a question, man." Right? And what happens next is significant. David tells the king of the Israelites, King Saul, to not lose heart. You know, some people, when they read through this story, is like, oh, David's getting pretty prideful in this moment. David's puffing himself up. Uh, and maybe that's why the older brother responded in anger. One harsh truth that we're going to come into contact with is when you're about to battle something, your brothers are going to question you. What do I mean by this? Your family, your Christian brothers, your Christian sisters, your friend group is going to be like, bro, this is a bad idea. Sit down. Don't you know your place? 
you know? Meanwhile, you know your ultimate place, you know your ultimate place because of your confidence in the Lord. No one likes a kid who beats a giant that they're afraid of. No one likes that. You know? Nobody likes seeing the little guy win. You're, some people who are really close to you are going to come against you, especially when you're going against your own breakthrough, going against your own victory, going against your own circumstance. People are going to be like, you've got no shot to conquer that. But you should know that you do. You can. Let's snap to the LT translation. So you just check again about the whole daughter situation, right? And one of your brothers who ran away from the battle tells you to get out of there and go back to the sheep. And you fire back and say, bro, it was just a question. And you turn to someone else and get the confirmation, right? The leader of your friend group, teacher, catches wind of this conversation and pulls you into the office. And you come in all your confidence and say, hey, I will fight this battle. Do not lose heart. We can do this. Given your teacher a pep talk the leader of your friend group, the pep talk, you know? David gave King Saul a pep talk. Pretty cool. Let's keep reading. To be continued, verse 33. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has seen a man of war from his youth. Or, sorry, he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Verse 36. Your servant has struck Sorry, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. He has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, And David said, uh, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go. And the Lord be with you. Okay. So King Saul and David kind of have this back and forth conversation. And Saul tells him, no way, you're too young. Right? The king says this to David. And David fires back and says, I've killed a lion and bear with my bare hands. I can handle this loser. Right? Then Saul says, go and may God help you. This is probably a huge surprise to King Saul because David protecting the sheep was done in private. Okay? I'm sure that nobody knew about David killing some lions and bears and tigers. Oh my. You know? I'm sure nobody knew about it. And I'm going to go out on a limb to say tonight, and this is something you're going to want to hang on to. What we do in private influences our public. Let me say that again. What we do in private influences the public. Our quiet time with the Lord or our or the private influences are external. 
our preparation in our circles, as we talked about in the previous podcast, right, will then influence our external surroundings. If, I mean, let me put it this way. We need internal or private victories before we start seeing external big victories. If you want a public victory, you have to be faithful where nobody cares. Right? Nobody cares about the sheep. It's pretty evident. You know? Nobody cared about what David was doing. But he killed lions and bears to protect it. So what we do in our private time, what we do in our, our private time influences where what we project outward. Right? So if we're screwing around in our private time, then it's gonna project outward. You know, if we're full of hate in our private it's going to project outward. If we are spending so much time with the Lord, it's going to project outward. That makes sense? If it doesn't, again, reach out to me. LT translation. So you're talking with your teacher, the group leader, and say, give me a shot. You know? And the teacher's like, are you serious, dude? This dude towers over you and you've never even walked into a gym. And you're like, come on. I've, 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 I, uh, I've always uh, got the leading kills and revives on zombies, and I have the most knives too. I can do this. And the teacher's like, all right, good luck. Verse 38. Uh, here it is. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David... And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried to go, he tried in vain to go. And he had not, sorry, I'm struggling on this one. And he tried in vain to go, and he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off, and he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Okay. So, King Saul puts on armor on David and tells him that he's ready. And then David could barely move at all and told Saul, I can't move and took it all off. David grabbed five stones and went up to Goliath. And I envision kind of Goliath pacing back and forth and then seeing David and looking down on him and laughing and calling him a boy and laughing in his face. One thing I want to point out in this couple verses is, isn't it interesting that the guy afraid to go fight is trying to equip the guy who's going to fight, right? King Saul is putting on his own armor on David. Isn't it interesting that the guy who's terrified of the giant is telling you and is telling David how to fight it? There are two kinds of people, right? People who do this stuff, and people who critique the people who do this stuff. <laughs> when the Lord gives you courage, others are going to try to coach you 
in victory, even though they are suffocated by the fear. You know, let's be honest. David was probably afraid of Goliath. It's okay, you know? But the fear the Lord but fear the Lord more than the Goliath. That was David. He knew who was on his side and knew that the Lord wouldn't let him down. And what's funny is King Saul tried to coach David in victory out of Saul's own fear. When the Lord gives you victory, people are going to tell you how to get victory. Think of it this way. Saul was afraid to go in battle, so he critiqued David's method of using a rock. Think of this also. King Saul tried to put the same kind of armor that three older brothers had on to go and fight this battle. King Saul tried to recreate a previous victory or his idea of a victory. Again, listen to this. The world and surrounding people will show you how they think victory will go and will always live in the past. But when you hear from the Lord, it will be specifically designed for you and your situation and your victory. That's freaking awesome. You know, our God's not much of a recreator. Yeah, he can use, he can use things twice because he created it, but our God is a creator. He knows how to conquer things. He knows where victory is, and he knows who is going to be victorious in it. LT translation of that little chunk. It says, so the friend group leader and the teacher starts equipping you for the fight, right? The teacher starts taking you to the weight room and, and buys you bro tanks and starts a diet plan for you and shows you all the proper hashtags like hashtag no days off, Hashtag beast mode, hashtag fit fam, hashtag gains. And you're like, I'm just sore and feel even more worthless. And you look at your teacher and say, I can't win like this. And you start playing zombies more and more, getting ready for battle. And you walk up to Goliath, who is big and good at everything, and he laughed at you because you've got peach fuzz and he's got a full James Harden beard, and all you have is peach fuzz and a PS3 controller in your hand. To be continued. Let's keep reading. Verse 43 through 51. Reads, And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you have come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I'll give your dead bodies to the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is God in Israel. And all that were in this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. 
David put his hand in his bag and took a stone and, and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. The stone struck into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over this Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. But then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Boom. So Goliath taunted David more and made fun of him and his sling and made fun of God. Then David, in all courage, said essentially, you're screwed. The Lord has declared victory already. And he pulls back his sling and boom, Goliath falls and David runs over to Goliath and, and chops off his head. So awesome, right? It's freaking a legit story. And what's even cooler about it is, have we ever seen something like this happen again? Let me answer for you. No. You know why? Because this was just for David. You know, when I first read this, I was like, okay, he's going to sling a stone um, at David's forehead and it's just going to enrage Goliath all the more. <laughs> you know? But when the Lord is in something, it can't fail. Right? I want to look at some key things in this story and the imagery of this story. Okay? First, David tending to the sheep. You've all heard me say this maybe before, but you have to be faithful with where you are to be faithful with the next season and in the bigger things. David was faithful to what may seem, what may seem insignificant, but that is what prepared him to be faithful in this battle, right? Your internal influencing your external, your private influencing your public. Okay, second thing is Israel. Israel means, the Israelites mean, may God prevail. David had full confidence and courage because he knew God would prevail. Legit. Third, the rock. Who has the nickname the rock in scripture and not, the, the, and not in the WWF? God is called the rock. This story would have been confusing if David needed five stones. You know, all David needed was the one stone, the one God, the rock, right? Can you imagine if, if this story went, okay, and then David pulled out another rock, then David pulled out another rock, then David pulled out another rock. We would be like, okay, so what? All David needed was one rock, the Lord. Boom. Fourth, Goliath. Goliath reeked of pride. And guess what? Pride can never win. Pride doesn't get you anywhere. And you'll probably end up dead. Take that how you want it. Fifth, David, a humble man of courage, obeyed the Lord in all that he did, didn't waver in the time of need, obedient to the Lord's call. So this message is called Be Humble. And it's all about being humble. David was a man after God's own heart. David has laid this victory, this crown, at the Lord's feet because the Lord did it. You can't take credit for it. 
When we say yes to Jesus, we say no to us. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to his plans because they're all result in victory. So humility is where we see the Lord use us more and more. Pride is where we try to manifest our own quote-unquote God moments. Humility is beating the odds in the face of battle and new victories. Pride is trying to recreate other people's victories and actually seeing no victory. Pretty cool, right? So you got to leave your baggage behind. Walk into battle. Then you got to stay confident through the entire season, through the entire circumstance, through the entire battle. Right? Then you need to hear a fresh word from God on how you're going to overcome this. You're not going to look at, okay, uh, so-and-so overcame it this way, so let me try to recreate that. No. The Lord speaks. Let him speak. And actually, hey, listen. Because he'll give you a new way to beat a giant in your life. And the cool thing is there was so much courage in David that he ran quickly down the mountain to go meet this guy. Pretty awesome. Pretty cool story. So our internal world influences our external world. And this is why I fully believe that David was able to achieve this because he was faithful with the small. He was faithful with his internal world. He was, he was obedient to what the Lord called him to first, and then boom, the Lord called him to something else, and he was obedient to that right away, and he ran quickly. When you got the Lord behind you, you run quickly. You move. Cool? So be humble. Um, pretty cool story. Thanks for tuning in. Come check us out on a Saturday night. Same place. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Uh, yeah, I think we got a free lunch coming up soon too. All right, keep it real. Thanks for tuning in to the Home Podcast.